This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. This is episode 94, tonight's recording. Uh, my name is Taylor, joined by the whole crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Uh, today we're going to be breaking down Georgia State's disappointing 43-10 loss to Army to start the 2021 season. We're going to be doing a little bit of preview uh, coming up for uh, Georgia State taking on the Tar Heels of the University of North Carolina, heading up to Chapel Hill this weekend to take on UNC in Chapel Hill. And then we'll also be discussing the newly released men's basketball full schedule. Um, Got some out-of-conference stuff that dropped, um, and then we are able to sort of see the whole landscape of what we have ahead of us. But um, first of all, I want to check in. How are we doing this week, guys? Apparently, all those times we were talking about how excited we were that college football was back, the football gods took that as some sort of threat or something or had it out for us or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the football is not what we envisage for Georgia State to start the year. But I will say this, being back in a stadium with fans, with two bands, because Army had a little pep band that they brought, which, I mean, having both bands in a college football game sort of adds that extra layer of the atmosphere where you've got those competing sounds going on and they're taking their turns playing songs. And so it was a beautiful day on Saturday, so that was great. So we'll get into the actual XSO's football stuff, but I do think that just in general, it was really nice to be in a college football stadium with a crowd, with all the atmosphere again. Army brought a good crowd, and so focus on that right now. Positives all around as far as that goes. Yeah, you know, it was a good weekend of sports and college football. Um, you know, Georgia State didn't end up doing what we thought that they would do, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed watching some of the other games. Uh you know, and it was Labor Day anyway, so I think there was enjoyment to be had outside of the actual uh, game itself, you know. Yeah, you know, it's still fun, even though it was definitely not what we wanted to uh, see going into Saturday. It was still a lot of fun. Uh, I took some really cool pictures. Uh, first time back in the saddle during an actual game in almost two years. So you can go check those out on ThursdayNight.com if you so choose. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to see what the rest of the season has to hold. Taylor, what's new with you? Uh, not much. Uh, I was actually going to turn a question back on to you guys. I'm curious as to um, for Brady and David or sorry, excuse me, for Brady and Jordan, who were actually in attendance on uh, Saturday for the Army game. What was your impression of the atmosphere sort of getting back into not like the full swing of things, but closer to quote unquote, like normal sporting events and, um, you know, getting fans back like Brady, you mentioned having the band kind of adding to the atmosphere. What was your kind of takeaway with the home atmosphere uh, for Georgia State's home opener? So I will say it felt pretty normal from what I remember from most of 2019 uh, Army. We knew from that game in 2019 brought a very good crowd and they had a sizable contingent there. They were pretty loud. Georgia State fans, unfortunately, of course, did not have a whole lot to cheer about, but when that touchdown happened, they were loud. Uh, they were pretty present. It looked like a pretty good crowd, not nearly as many as I think people wanted to be there. Announced attendance was just over 18,000, and uh, capacity, I believe, is 24 or 25. But yeah, I would say it's still a pretty, pretty good representation of what uh, a lot of other Georgia State home games have been. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hold it against the Georgia State fans. I mean, I think if the result was exactly reversed, we would be talking about how it was a raucous Georgia State crowd and they're really into it. It's 
sort of hard when your team ends up losing by 33 and there's basically two scoring drives to speak of where much of anything happened on offense. Uh, you know, it's hard to stay engaged and be loud for four quarters when that's gone on. And so I will give the mulligan there when they come back to Center Park Stadium, host Charlotte at night, which I think makes it better. I'm expecting... You know, it, it's tricky because there's a bad performance. You expect it's going to take a hit of fan interest a little bit, especially with a program that's still building it. But I think it's possible that the Charlotte game is better attended for the sheer fact it's a night game. It, I don't know what the numbers will shake out to be. Those are famous last words. But I just have a hunch that it being a night game will matter a little bit more for getting people there. And, you know, every night game, it feels like there's been a great environment it's been maybe a level higher even if the numbers aren't different it just the, the mood feels different it feels like everyone is more ready when kick happens yeah noon starts are always kind of a uh let's just say less than excellent experience in the state of georgia in the beginning of september um, i have a wicked sunburn because i forgot the sun burns you because i had not been outside in a year and a half but uh i digress the uh the time is early for students to really want to care. A night game or like a Thursday night game is going to be a lot better attended than a noon uh, Labor Day weekend kick. But yeah, I, I would expect it to be a lot better going into the future as temperatures cool down and they're not kicking off at noon. I also think, I mean, we've, we've discussed this on the pod before. I'm not necessarily, I would say probably taking any sort of uh, attendance figures for college football Outside of like your Alabamas and, you know, I mean, like the the cream of the crop in terms of, you know, people banging the door down trying to get into football games, like taking everything attendance wise with a grain of salt when we are still in the midst of a raging global pandemic. Um, that's just kind of the one thing that has taken away seeing some of the discourse about the uh, the attendance numbers. And, you know, I think all of the factors combined with, like you had said, it's, it's tough to get up and be loud for four quarters when your team isn't performing the way that you would expect them to, um, or when you would like them to. But, um, before we get to, you know, off topic and, uh, keep, you know, relitigating some of the stuff we've already talked about, we can't keep putting it off. Let's get down to the kind of the nitty gritty here and get into the, the meat and potatoes of what we actually saw on the field on Saturday. Jordan, do you want to kind of give us a breakdown of what we saw from the Panthers against the black Knights of army? Absolutely. As mentioned previously, it was a 43-10 loss for Georgia State in the season opener in Center Park Stadium. State was without starters wide receiver Sam Pinckney, uh, John Trey Hunter, and Quavian White due to COVID protocols. Defensive lineman Hardrick Willis also did not play. The Panthers fumbled on the fourth play of the game. Army recovered, and it was all downhill from there. The Black Knights jumped out to a 21-0 lead early. Georgia State got a touchdown back to cut it to a two-score game, and they forced Army's First punt to give themselves a chance at a two-minute drill and some points before halftime, but a quad brown interception on the first play of that drive set Army up inside the Georgia State 10-yard line, and they scored on the final play of the half to make it a 27-7 game, and it never got closer than that from there. 
Army outgained Georgia State 356 to 177, and the 48 net rushing yards the Panthers had were the lowest under offensive coordinator Brad Glenn. Uh, Quad Brown was 12 of 20 for 129 yards with no touchdowns and one interception in an auspicious 2021 debut. In one bright spot, though, Jamari Thrash started in Sam Pinckney's place and finished with a team-high seven receptions and 87 yards, including a pretty spectacular one-handed catch. But, uh, gentlemen, what were your thoughts about this Army game? Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about setting up this pod, I I just think that the easiest way to go about it is breaking it up into three phases of the game for Georgia State, the offense, the defense, the special teams. Um, I guess getting the paint out of the way, we can start with the offensive side of the ball. And I, it just, from the word go, it just never felt like Georgia State really had anything in sync offensively. And, you know, I don't know what it was. It's something they're going to have to diagnose. But the fumble on the fourth play of the game, you had Roger Carter and Destin Coates kind of occupy the same part of the backfield on the next drive and kind of run into each other on a run play. It was could have been another fumble. It wasn't, thankfully. But it was still, I think there was a legal formation there. So the whole thing was just, it just was really weird. And given the highs we've seen from this offense, I think it was shocking or at least a little bit surprising just how out of sorts they looked the entire time uh and yeah i i think we have to give credit to army's defense for a lot of that i think we talked about how they had been a top one of the top defenses in college football last year we probably didn't give them as much credit as i think we just weren't sure how good they were again but you know they were good they played a great game they had quad uncomfortable most of the day uh, they were generating pressure. Uh, they were stuffing the run. I, I thought offensive line didn't have their best game, and that's a lot of the reason why the running game never really got going. And yeah, I mean, combination of things. I don't think Georgia State really gave Army their best shot, but Army was definitely ready for this game. Credit to them. It was such a, <laughs> I feel like you you spoke with such, you know, coach poise or, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, I think you're right. Um, I think the running game heading in, we definitely expected to be a little bit more robust. Um, and I think the offensive line, I'll say that the offensive line struggled. And the reason I say that the offensive line struggled um, in honestly both phases of the offense uh, is normally, I think with quad, his decision-making has been poor when it whenever his decision making it's poor it's kind of he doesn't see a cornerback it's kind of you know he looks at he doesn't make a read that's right there but he's very rarely under duress um and i don't think he got hit a ton of times this past weekend but you know obviously he got sacked you know what the ncaa has weird rushing stats it looks like he got sacked five times four times three whatever. times three sacks three times okay um, but I, I don't think he was comfortable. There were a lot of overthrows and underthrows and guys would come in and, you know, be up in his face. There was the roughing the passer, um, which bailed them out. But like, I really don't think the offensive line played well. Um, and you know, it's not their fault that Destin had the weird fumble play. It's not their fault that he did fumble. Um, but I think once they like switched off of that, it just, 
never really was going to be established that they were going to run the ball well, which, you know, you could argue that they still attempted it afterwards and they, you know, you can't just completely abandon it. Like running the ball is Georgia state's bread and butter. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I kept looking at the, you know, like I can specifically remember times where the right guard, Pat Bartlett just did not seem like he was providing any sort of protection on the right side. Um, and, you know, so, so again, credit Army, there was a lot of play calls where Georgia State was, you know, pulling their tackles and guards to go left and or, you know, the protection was sliding left and there was just a guy who was unaccounted for. That happens. That's just part of matching up. But it, it was a confusing game from my point of view on the offense and how, you know, rusty it looked. Yeah, I, there were the two scoring drives. It was literally Georgia State had two offensive drives that you could say were good. And they were the two drives where they got points. And it was the two drives where they looked like the Georgia State offense we've been accustomed to seeing. It was mixing up the run. It was the pass. They were staying in pretty manageable down and distance most of those drives. And one of them only, they, they fizzled out in the 10 and had to settle for a field goal. But those two drives you'd look at and say, that's Georgia State. That's what they've done. And it almost seemed like, it was from a different game. Like you just cut and paste those drives and you, you photoshopped the other team to look like army's defense because it, it wasn't what you saw for the rest of the time. And so, you know, I'm not Mr. The sky is falling. Army deserves credit for a lot of what happened. Just cause I think they played a good game defensively, but I understand that desire. And I think we're going to have to see a lot of improvement just on basic stuff. You know, UNC is a tough game, and we'll get into that later when we circle around to that preview. So you're saying you need this result or this many points, whatever. They just need to look good because we've seen that for the last two years, and it's been a good offense. And it's never, except for the Coastal game last year, really looked like that in any long stretches of time. And so seeing that in the season opener is certainly a real dampener, and it's, you know, it's the reason they lost. Yeah, it's, I mean, Arby held the ball for 40 minutes. <laughs> it's like, we, Georgia State loves to run a lot of plays, and, like, those two drives, like you said, they looked really good. Um, and we talked about, both in the preview and, you know, on the site, like, we talked about how, like, offensive efficiency is going to really be the name of the game. And, you know, they had nine drives and scored on two of them and looked pretty bad on a lot of the rest of them. Um but you're not going to go a game like that again. Outside of Georgia Southern, who plays an offense very similar to Army, you're not going to hold the ball for 18 minutes in another football game all year, you know? I'd be willing to give them, I guess, I don't know. I can't give them a mulligan because they should clean up, obviously, the mistakes that they made and the penalties were not great. Um but they'll have, you know, a much more even offense defense distribution in terms of time of possession in other games. And that'll certainly help them in how they play going forward. It should, at least. And I mean, to that point, uh, the offense gave the Georgia State offense made mistakes, gave up some short fields. Uh, I, the interception they caught through right before the half was particularly just a backbreaking thing because at that point it was. 21-7 Army, you maybe can get three points or a touchdown if you get a big play on that drive there, do something before the half. But even if not, you can keep it at two scores. 
try and get a second stop in a row when Army comes out in the second half, and you know then you're cooking with gas. But that pick there that set up Army inside the ten yard line, you know they they got in the end zone, and that's if if we can switch to talking about Georgia State's defense versus Army's offense, the story of the day really was Georgia State makes mistakes. Army makes them pay for it. And, you know, they clinically did that. I mean, they got three drives that started in Georgia State territory, and they got touchdowns on all of them. That's what you're supposed to do, and that was the worry for if you're going to make mistakes against this Army team. I mean, they're sort of designed for that type of stuff. And that's that's what they did on Saturday. And it's, uh, the, the, the scary part is not just those three drives that started in Georgia State territory. You know, like you said, that's exactly what you're supposed to do when you get that short of a field position. Their field position when Georgia State kicked to them was phenomenal. They started out their second drive, their, their second drive of the game started on their 39. After that, they started on their 47. And then they finally got a Georgia State finally got a touchback after they scored that touchdown. You know, that was Army's first punt of the game in the second half. Their uh, first drive, they started off on the 25 after Georgia State kicked off to them. And they still like they started between the you cannot have a team start on their from their 30 and the 50 or higher and just expect that your defense is going to be able to defend the whole field like that especially because army was just you know they, they like to nick at you you know i think georgia state did a, an admirable job of defending the big play um you know army's average yards per rush was 3.9 which For a team that loves to pound the ball, that's not that high. Honestly, it's really not that high. You know, offensively, they only they run ran for 258 rushing yards. I mean, that they're a triple option team like you. If you had told us going into the game that that's what they were going to do, you would have taken that result. Um, But man, Georgia State's defense just really was not helped out by the field position or just, you know, being on the field for, again, 42 minutes. Yeah, I've got the actual numbers for you on what you just went through. So, yeah, last year, Army ran the ball averaging 273 a game on the ground, 4.58 yards per carry. 2019, it was 297 yards on the ground per game, 5.2 yards per carry. 2018, it was 312 rushing yards per game, 4.93 yards per carry. 2017, 362 yards per game and six flat yards per carry. This is an Army team that under Jeff Monken has been used to putting up prolific big numbers rushing the ball every week, and they didn't really do that. And part of the, you know, the short fields probably contributed to that, but like David said, when Georgia State had them starting not in near midfield or past midfield, they were able to kind of put some stops together. And the longest run of the day was 16 yards. And that's absolutely something you take when you're facing an army team that they love to get two, three, four yards, and then they'll pop one for 60 because someone misses a gap. And that didn't happen. Uh, The dive was working for them a lot early. And Georgia State started to find some answers for that, and they weren't getting gashed as much. I think the 16-yard was on the first drive of the game for Army. And I don't remember huge runs. The the one thing you can point to, they got exposed, they got picked out on the passing game. The Army threw the ball four times. One of them was an obvious passing down 
to start the second half on that first drive, and Georgia State forced the incompletion there. And the other three, Army did a really nice job of picking spots where they were going to pull it back and pass, and they got touchdowns on two of them. All of them were big plays, and, you know, I, I think that they were maybe a little bit slow to diagnose when it was a pass, which I guess you could understand when you're expecting a team to rush it 60-plus times a game, but... I also think that Army picked really good spots for it, and they executed their play as well. And, you know, execution at the end of the day is what made the difference for Army is that even if they weren't world-beating, what was working for them is that they were staying on the field. They weren't, there wasn't an errant pitch on an option play. The quarterback was making the right reads. And so for the offense, they took advantage of short field positions. They didn't make their own mistakes. And they scored touchdowns when they needed to score touchdowns with the short fields and, uh, you know, when Georgia State was giving them mistakes. And so I, like David said, we're not going to play a team very much like that the rest of the year. We're going to play a pretty different offense entirely this weekend against UNC. Uh, I'm not going to say, you know, like, I don't think that they were dominant. I think that there was a missed opportunity for the Georgia State front to be as good as we've seen them be. And I think that they missed chances to, you know, sometimes you make your own luck and you make your own turnovers, even if Army isn't making you make, you know, making those mistakes themselves. And that didn't happen. And so you're not looking there and saying it's a totally, it's entirely 100% on the offense. I think, you know, you could have had impact plays. You needed some impact to happen if you're going to get Army off their rhythm. And that didn't happen. But it just, the offense did not give them any favors. And, I think that a, a good portion of the 43 points, which is the eyesore for the defense, just kind of rests with the, the offense never getting going. It's sort of like the 51-0 loss that Coastal got last year, except to a greater degree. I thought the defense made more mistakes in that game than they did in this game. Yeah, there were a lot of big plays in that game, and you can't say the same really with this one. It really was just one of those... This team has just schemed us well, and today's just, you know, not our day. I guess this worked out well because the special teams are the last phase to talk about. And, you know, we wouldn't normally probably devote this much time, but there actually were some special teams plays that were the positive takeaways, even though a couple of them didn't actually count because of a separate thing that went on the play. But, you know, that sequence with the two fumbled punts recovered by Georgia State back-to-back plays, back-to-back plays getting taken back on holding penalties. I mean, Coach Elliott himself said he had never seen anything like that, and he's watched a lot more football than any of us and been around football longer than any of us. And so I think that speaks for itself as just the rarity of it. Uh, But, you know, once you get past it's you, you just can't have those two holes there on the protection team. You did have Michael Hayes do two rugby punts and, the army guys lost them. Either the first one bounced off the back of the, you know, the guy going back to block for his return guy. And the second one, the return guy overran it, stuck his hands up it bounced off. And Georgia state, you know, you don't want to have those plays get negated by penalties, but that still happened where you had that big impact special teams play. And we were looking and we were talking about special teams preview. We're looking for maybe a little bit more from the punting game, looking a little bit more from Michael Hayes. And if he's able to keep putting those punts in dangerous areas, that's a potential when you're not in a game where you end up losing by 33, that can swing some results. You know, it absolutely can. And I think it's weird to sit there and talk about special teams being actually a bright spot because 
you know, when Georgia State had any momentum, I, I don't know if I would use momentum as a word, but, you know, I, I hearken back to that kick out of bounds where you really just needed a good kick um, after the field goal. You know, the game probably was a little bit out of reach by that point anyways. Um, but the special teams unit played really well. You know, Army obviously is a team that runs the ball well, but, the you know, if you're running the ball well, that means you've got a lot of good skilled uh, skill position players and so that means they can probably return a few kicks and i thought that the coverage team even outside of the weird fumble fiasco was you know it was a really weird sequence because uh, it, it kind of it just looked like the exact same thing happened and so if you watched it you probably were like did, did my like dream or did, am i like deja vuing myself but um, you know, if they can just clean up the holding, then, you know, and Hayes is still kicking in that rugby style, you know, those will turn into force fumbles that actually stick later on. The process was good. Yeah, that, that, you, the results weren't good at all on Saturday in general, but that was one where the process completely didn't match the results and something to build on. And the other thing that happened was a, a blocked extra point by Barry Crease Brown around the corner. Coach Elliott had a lot of praise for him in his... Um, beginning of this week availability instead he kind of called his own number there and was like change up the play here i got this block and he went and got this block and sort of made them change and run a fake the next time they scored a touchdown and again it did this play happen but this play didn't really rate on a scale of mattering much in the game that ended up being a 30 plus point loss but extra point block field goal here and there those absolutely can be plays that count and look again another area where georgia state hasn't necessarily been the impact team. So if we've got the punts working where you can maybe force some turnovers, you got some block kick capability, certainly things that when you can play better in all the phases, those starts, those start mattering more. All right. So moving on to UNC Saturday at seven thirty Eastern time on Bally sports, South regionally ESPN three nationally, the Tar Heels enter this game ranked number 22 in the coaches poll, number 24 in the AP boasting an 0-1 record, falling from their preseason ranking of number 10 after losing 17-10 last Friday at unranked Virginia Tech. They're led by Mac Brown in his second stint with the school. He's 15-11 this go-around and 84-57-1 in total in Chapel Hill. He has 259 career NCAA wins and is, of course, most famous for leading Vince Young and Texas to a BCS National Championship in 2005. Players to watch for the Tar Heels, quarterback Sam Howell, consensus first-round draft pick at quarterback in the upcoming 2022 NFL Draft. He's thrown for 3,500-plus yards and 30-plus touchdowns the last two seasons alone. Wide receiver Josh Downs, the Tar Heels' one big playmaker in last week's loss to Virginia Tech with eight catches, 123 yards, and one score. Defensively, watch for linebacker Tom and Fox, UNC's leading sack getter in 2020 with seven, and his younger brother on the defensive line, Tamari Fox. Fun note, running back Ty Chandler, UNC's starter, is a graduate transfer from Tennessee. He rushed for 48 yards and a touchdown for the Vols in the Panthers' upset win in Knoxville to open the 2019 season. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Tar Heels? Are, are we sure that Sam Howell is going to be a guy? Like, he looked terrible last week. Come on now, if he was a good quarterback, he, what, what are we watching for? I... um. 
I feel like there's something, something glass houses and stones to be said about judging off of one week of performances in 2021. But, you know, that aside, it's a tricky spot because I think if we had said UNC is going to be coming off a loss, you'd say, oh, okay, they're going to be playing mad, whatever. Georgia State's also coming off a loss. And so in that respect, you've got two teams that are both really you'd think, wanting to show what they got to play for. I mean, especially with Georgia State. I mean, you just got to think that they really want to show that what just happened against Army is not the sum of their parts. And it's it's really a tricky draw for Georgia State because, you know, they're, I think, 25-point underdogs as of recording this podcast somewhere in that ballpark. I don't know where the line's landed yet. Uh, but UNC didn't look like the preseason hoped team that, you know, Tar Heels fans thought they would get. And some of that might've just been Virginia Tech playing well. Some of that, they didn't play their best, but I think that we are going to look at this game in a pretty different light to where we might've looked at it when we were talking about it before, because we probably thought Georgia state was going to play like Georgia state and maybe win against army. And that didn't happen in the least. And so I think for me talked about it a little bit when we were talking about that game, the score is almost irrelevant to me. Uh, you want to win games anytime you go out there and play, but you just got to see the Georgia State that we've seen as they've been to bowl games through the last four years. It's You might have times where the talent of UNC wins out and maybe you defend a play perfectly and Sam Howell just throws a dart and puts it in the place where only his receiver can catch it. And, you know, you aren't going to win with that type of thing happening, but just making sure that the plays are being made that Georgia State can make, making sure that the offense stays on time, preferably having it more than 18 minutes of the game and putting some drives together. Um, it feels so defeatist to put the just look good out there because that's a marker that's laid down that inherently means you're not saying, like, Georgia State should go win this game. But right now, Georgia State's got to worry about Georgia State. And so performance and how they play is going to be the most important thing for me. Okay, so do you remember the 2018 game where Georgia State went to go play NC State? Yes. They lost 41 to 7. But I remember that game and I pulled I pulled it up and I pulled it up for a reason because after Georgia State's third drive, um they the score was 10-7 NC State. Georgia State got the ball first, went down, you know, 75-yard touchdown drive is great. Um NC State being a power five school responded with a touchdown drive themselves. And then, you know, there's a Georgia state punt and an NC state field goal that drive after the NC state field goal, Georgia state, they had like a 30 yard drive. You know, you really thought that Georgia state was going to keep up and, you know, put some points on the board, but they ended up punting from the NC state 48. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to relitigate that punt. But what I am here to say is there are times where Georgia State will go play a bigger school and for the majority of a half or an entire half, they will play really good football. And the final score might be lopsided. You know, that touchdown that I mentioned was the only score in this game and the rest of the game, Georgia State really could not get anything going. They kept making mistakes and getting in their own way. Um, and, you know, but this was before the prolific 2019 running season and blah, 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 blah. But the point that I'm making is what I want to see this weekend when they go up to Chapel Hill is play a, play a perfect Georgia State half. 
you know, I'm not saying that you won't have turnovers. I'm not saying that UNC won't beat Georgia State or, you know, they won't put the smack down on him or anything like that. But what I want to see is I want to see an offensive line that is protecting quad to the best of their ability. I want to see a running back committee that is able to get positive yards and not fumble the ball. I want to see quad having a good rapport with his receivers, you know, hit the open guy when it's there, make the right decisions, you know, and I want to see a defense that's being as scrappy as it can be without being too, uh, undisciplined. I don't think the de- the defense was undisciplined this past week, um, but that you know that's what I want to see because I think there is a way for Georgia for us to come out of this week and Georgia State loses by twenty five, thirty, or whatever, and we walk into next week and look at the Charlotte matchup and say that is if this team showed up that just played UNC, they're gonna go beat Charlotte, and that's what I want. Yeah, I I think this. Sort of needs to be a palate cleanser of a game for the season just to get the the stink of what happened last game out. And it's tricky to do that when you have to line up one of your two power conference opponents right after. You know, Georgia State lost the opener in Coach Elliott's first season to Tennessee State, and that was a, a hard loss to take. And then they had to go play at Penn State and lost that game. 56 nothing, and so they had to wait for the third game against Charlotte, which they won for Georgia State's first shutout in school history, and the it, it kind of got back on schedule from there, and yeah, I, the NC State game is a, a, an interesting corollary I'd go with. I mean, you can even go to the 2016 team wasn't very good, only won three games, and was leading at Wisconsin in the fourth quarter, so all of this is to say... College football is weird and you can have things happen where even teams who, even if this Georgia State team is more like that 2016 team than the teams we've seen the last couple years, and you know, we hope that isn't the case, but even if that's the case, college football is weird and you can have games where teams play above their level, stay in games. Uh, UNC is going to want to take a big lead like Army did and get comfortable, get Georgia State out of their rhythm and eventually be able to play your backups for two quarters, what have you. And so... The name of the game, if you are trying to pull an upset in this game, is just keeping it close and keeping the pressure on the home favorite. And so if you're looking for, you know, how this plays out, how it's probably going to be down to, like David said, playing a good first half, because if it gets out of hand early, going to be hard to foresee a comeback. And it's going to be pretty deflating to have that kind of happen in two straight weeks. But uh, yeah, the, the Coastal loss last year, and the Army loss this year have the capability of being very similar games in that they end up being outliers. You can say a lot of good about both the other teams and how they were having good seasons. Wouldn't surprise me if this Army team ends up winning double-digit games. But Georgia State had a more favorable stretch after that game than they do with this one. You know, Charlotte beat Duke, and we don't know who Duke is, but it's at least an ACC school with power conference recruits. And after that, it's Auburn. And so... Georgia State's kind of got to buck up a little bit, or they might stare an 0-4 September in the face, and that's just not at all what they're looking to do, not least because I think we both said they'd be 9-3, and and that would just look really bad for the Thursday Night Podcast. But you know, that aside, I for the goals that they want to achieve, even though none of the games are going to count against Sunbelt play, and they could still go undefeated in the Sunbelt at that point, however likely that might be, and finish 8-4, and four, it, you know, you're setting yourself with your back, you know, on your back foot, you know, much like they 
they did in that game against Army for the rest of the season if they don't start playing better and get some results that they can kind of put in their we did okay today book, starting with UNC. Just to touch on a note that you just made, Brady, about how, you know, Georgia State could open up the season on like an 0-4 stretch. And I think, you know, the possibility of that being on the table definitely is a bit of a sobering thought, especially considering some of the expectations that we and other members of the Georgia State community had had about this team heading into the season. But an important piece of perspective I think it is important to keep is, yes, Georgia State has scheduled a very aggressive out-of-conference schedule both this year and moving forward in the next couple of years. So that being said, coming with aggressive out-of-conference scheduling comes with the uh, opportunity to, you know, you play good teams. Good teams are probably going to, you know, most good teams, if you're punching above your weight, the numbers are usually going to fall out where, you know, more often than not, you're going to lose these games. So it's important to keep in mind that Despite the fact that Georgia State might be, um, you know, punching above their weight a little bit, the, it comes down to kind of a philosophical, philosophical idea of, you know, how hard do you want to schedule your out of conference? Because then you open yourself up to, you know, potential upsets like Tennessee is a program defining win, one of the best, you know, wins in program history. If you're only scheduling FCS cupcake schools to come in, you know, Southwestern Missouri Technical College, we pay you, you know, to come in and pad the early part of our season. You know, do those does a a cupcake win compared to whether it's going to be a brutal, you know, 43 to 10 loss to a team you beat two years ago? I mean, it's not like Army has owned Georgia State, um, you know, throughout the whole uh, period of the matchup. And if I'm not mistaken, we have one more um, matchup at West Point coming up in 2022. Yeah. Um, So. That necessarily didn't get to like a specific like point, but I think it's important to remember that Georgia State's out of conference scheduling philosophy has gotten a lot more aggressive over the last few years. And with so or with so doing will come the possibility of, you know, you just run into a couple of tough teams at the wrong time and you kind of start your season off on the back foot. So I don't think, again, to echo Brady's sentiment, I don't think anybody is calling for the sky is falling. And if we lose to or if Georgia State loses to UNC, then again, there is there's also no no smashing of the panic button. But you're also not doing yourself any favors either. Absolutely. I, I mean, look. Georgia State can have a winless September, and I'm sure we will probably be spamming the panic button at that point. But they could still win the Sun Belt if they have a winless November or September. Excuse me. It's it would be weird. It is winless November definitely makes winning the Sun Belt a touch <laughs> harder. <laughs> that is correct. It would be weird. It would be incredibly odd for it to happen, especially because if your first, <laughs> if Georgia State's first win this season is App State, I don't know what my brain is going to do, but it's going to explode. Uh, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but, but obviously to your point, like there, there are ways to where you could have the absolute worst September and still achieve your goals. You could still have a decent or good season even as long as you find a way to play well later on. Yeah, I mean, we're still going to talk about the next set of games in non-conference September as those games come. But I think if Georgia State is looking at this ideally, this can be a nice game where they can reset the base of what they actually want to look like on the field, especially offensively. And result come what may, play well, see what happens. 
get that set so you've come in with a better state of mind and feeling better about yourself playing Charlotte, which is a home game, and they've got a good win this year. They're a good team. They've been building under Coach Will Healy, but it's a game you feel like you can win. And then at that point, if you can win that game, you're at one and two, and you're feeling better about yourself if against the second power conference though you're playing in Auburn. And again, goes back to just play well, see what happens. But it, it sort of feels like it's just going to be a stepwise thing. We're just going to have to see the team play better this week. And hopefully they can get back on track for the rest of the year. Because like David said, first conference opponent is app state and it's at home, but it's not like you can really take a breath after playing Auburn and non-conference is over. The, the real work starts then. And just one more thing that I'd like to add is also this Georgia state team is uh, probably one of the most like experienced and veteran squads in program history, which I think lends itself to the idea that if there is ever a team to have the sort of mental resiliency that is necessary to take a shellacking 43 to 10 in your home stadium to open the season and then be able to, you know, learn from it, take the film, do what you're going to do, and then sort of piecemeal and, and, put the compartmentalize the negative and just move on and, you know, set goals and, you know, kind of re uh, reorient themselves. I think this would be the team to do it. And I'd hope that hopefully that is reflective of the sort of attitude that the team takes in their preparations for this week. And then, you know, going about their business, whatever the tower, the chips may fall um, come Saturday in Chapel Hill. And then, you know, you've got the Ty Chandler voodoo magic. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe he lines up against Georgia State second time in a row against a power conference team. You know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Stranger things if, have happened. If Georgia State wins, we can't ignore that factor of it. If they're 2-0 <laughs> and against power conference teams and both of them had a guy playing for two separate teams in the course of three years, it's certainly one of those zany things that just the universe has the weird thing going on there. We should send him a fruit basket or something. Like an edible arrangement. Be like, hey, appreciate it. Also, how many years of eligibility do you have left? I'm going <laughs> to say... Would you want to transfer to Army next year? <laughs> I'm going to say that the fruit basket probably wouldn't go down great. I feel like he might read something into that that's a little disrespectful. Um, so I, I think it's a promising start of an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop. Obviously, it's a relevant we'll workshop, we'll workshop it. Um, Obviously, that has to start I, with an upset I, on Saturday. So we have one more big news item to touch on in today's episode, and that is that the men's basketball team has released as of Tuesday this week the full schedule. We did get the Sunbelt Conference schedule a little earlier in the offseason. But uh, here's a brief rundown of what we're looking to expect here. Uh, first game is an exhibition hosting Clayton State in the GSU Sports Arena in what will be the Sports Arena's final season on Friday, November 5th. And then, that, of course, that being an exhibition game, the season proper starts the following Tuesday, November 9th, against Bruton Parker. And then Friday, November 12th, former CAA foe Northeastern comes into the Sports Arena. And then the Panthers go on the road facing the Richmond Spiders in Richmond, Virginia on Tuesday, November 16th. And then they participate in the Legends Classic at High Point in High Point, North Carolina, which is going to consist of Georgia State, High Point, Howard, and William and Mary. Following that, they'll travel up to Kingston, Rhode Island 
to play the Rhode Island Rams, and then they'll be back at home on Wednesday, December 1st, to play Tennessee State, traveling down to Mercer on Saturday, December 4th, returning home to host Voorhees College on Monday, December 6th, at Mississippi State on Tuesday, December 14th, hosting Toccoa Falls College on Saturday, December 18th, and then the final non-conference game, making the short trip up to Georgia Tech on Tuesday, December 21st, for a, another match against the Yellow Jackets. Of course, last year's facing the Yellow Jackets was a four-overtime win that went well into the wee hours of the morning. And then, of course, we start the Sunbelt Conference play at Arkansas State on Thursday, December 30th. So lots to talk about here. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts? Okay, so I looked I looked at the schedule when it came out, and I kind of scoffed at it um, because I figured, you know, okay, Georgia State the last couple of years, we talked about it with football just now. They, you know, they've been trying to play a lot of higher quality D1 teams, and, you know, they, they love to play and punch up in their out-of-conference schedule. So I looked at this, and I was like, uh, Northeastern, Richmond, what? If you actually look at these schools and like kind of look at their last couple of years, it tells a much different story, um, kind of where Georgia State's like their heads at. So, for example, I'll use Northeastern. Northeastern went to the tournament the last year Georgia State went to the tournament. They upset Hofstra in the uh, CAA championship game and went to the tournament. Granted, they were the two seeds, so like it wasn't like this grand upset or anything like that. But that was a tournament team. You know, Rhode Island had 21 wins in the 1920 season, which we know was the tournament got canceled, but that was probably going to be a tournament team too. You know, Mississippi State was ranked in that season as well. You know, that was definitely going to be a tournament team. Um and and so I I feel like looking at this, you know, last year uh I guess two years ago, they played Duke and Georgetown. Um, last year, they had like Michigan on their out-of-conference schedule, and obviously it got canceled because of COVID. But really, this out-of-conference schedule is a lot better than I initially looked and saw. You know, maybe it's a little bit lighter at home. Okay, that's fair. Um, but I think it's going to be a much better out-of-conference schedule that I think people are going to give it credit. Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction was just kind of there's at least one too many non-Division one home games. And obviously, if you're looking to sell fans on who you're playing at home, it's not a great list of teams for the home games where you can say, yeah, come watch and play Voorhees, the school of uh, Friday the 13th, I guess, the Fighting Jasons. Um, but like David said, there, there's good teams in the out-of-conference Uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens in year two of state versus tech looking forward to being there this time covering a person rather than uh, being in chilling in a beach house waiting for the fourth overtime to end. Uh, and yeah, I mean, David sort of covered that it's sneakily a little bit better even where, you know, I don't know that the tournament is, you know, high point Howard and William and Mary aren't, barn burner teams but i don't necessarily hate the idea of georgia state participating in a uh tournament in the out of conference schedule that they feel like they could win and without having done full research on all those teams you it's really not crazy to say georgia state could win that tournament whereas sometimes when they've played these they you know i think duke and georgetown those games were technically part of a preseason tournament and yeah you weren't necessarily counting on winning either of those games and so you're going up to high point 
hopefully it could be a good weekend for Georgia State basketball there to kind of get a momentum continuing to build win. And yeah, it's, it's maybe a little bit different, maybe not nearly as the highs of the high. And we don't know how much scheduling and locations played a part in scheduling out of conference opponents, but we think that it's a good team and maybe it's a case where they can rack up a good out of conference schedule, even if it isn't necessarily, they're not playing your Dukes and your Georgetowns like usual. Something else that kind of stuck out to me is <clears throat> we've had this discussion uh, multiple seasons, uh, both privately before you know we started the podcast, as the podcast has grown um, over the years, is the idea of Georgia State playing more in-state rivals. Uh, and while neither of the games are at home this year, Georgia State is still going to be playing Mercer and Georgia Tech, um, which... I mean, this would be the second year in a row playing Georgia Tech, and this was a prevailing thing kind of when Coach Hunter was here, but he wanted these, that, that's the vision that he saw for, you know, the future of Georgia State's place within the sort of greater basketball landscape of the state, right? You want to be playing your 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 in-state rivals to both kind of like, you know, steal sharpens steal a little bit of, you know, if Georgia Tech and Georgia State were playing every year, that is only going to serve to better both of their sort of uh, tournament resumes as both of them are, you know, preeminent D1 programs within within the state. So that's just something I would I've noticed. And I, I like that they are still, you know, going out and scheduling these games. And all I'm saying is that for all of you uh, UGA fans that listen to this podcast, just roll up just once. I mean, like that's that's the last nut to crack. And I'm just kind of just me as a Georgia State fan. I'm sitting around waiting for like, when is Georgia finally going to take the the opportunity to kind of, you know, nut up or shut up a little bit and put their money where their mouth is? Because other than the uh, which that that preseason game that we played them in the Bahamas, is that a is that a regular season game or is that just an exhibition? Yeah, no, that's okay. Counted. Cayman Islands, I think. But yeah. Came out yes, there was some yeah, very very early season, um, and that's the only Georgia versus Georgia State, you know, sort of uh, interaction basketball wise that we've ever gotten. So I would love the opportunity to have uh, you know Jordan, both of those programs be able to 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 put that matchup together on U.S. soil potentially or at a, a, a you know not neutral site. Um, that would just be that. That's the next sort of evolution of where this trajectory that the 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 out of conference scheduling within the state against other you know your Mercers and your Georgia Techs would I would like to see it go. Yeah, well, and there's another port. There's another part of the schedule that doesn't necessarily relate to this year, but relates to next year when the new arena will be here. Um, not sure we necessarily lined up a home and home with Mississippi State. Uh, that just seemed like an odd one. But I think all the other you know, out-of-conference road games that they've scheduled, pretty feasibly are, it's part of an agreement to be a home-on-home to start next year. And so next year, could we know that Georgia Tech is coming to the Convocation Center next year, and uh, pretty logically follows that Rhode Island could be coming, Mercer could be coming, Richmond could be coming. And, you know, that right there, just with that games, Georgia Tech, Richmond, uh, Georgia Tech, Richmond, Mercer, Rhode Island, that plus whatever other games you schedule that are maybe not as good of opponents, that's a solid home schedule for the first year of the arena. And so there might have been a little bit of that going on, scheduling the front end of the home and home to make sure that next year it happens in the new arena. And so maybe this year's schedule takes a hit, but that is certainly an appealing part if you read between the lines on this schedule. 
Uh, not from the out of conference, but one more thing of note that um, just popped out as I was going kind of a holistic look at the schedule this uh, for like the year now is um, Georgia State isn't closing the season against Georgia Southern. However, they do have that home Thursday and then travel to Georgia Southern that following Saturday um, is their uh, third and fourth to last um, games, respectively. So uh, I remember last year, the Southern games were a little bit for, like oriented towards the middle of the schedule. So that's been moved back again towards kind of the home stretch. So again, always, uh, you know, that's going to come down to the, the Sun Belt, especially at the top with those teams. Um, you know, you're playing ULM, um, but Louisiana closing out like, you know, you get three out of the four um, of your last four games are going to be potentially determining seating going into the Sunbelt tournament again. Um, so it really just always seems like Georgia State finds themselves entangled with uh, Georgia Southern down the stretch to determine each other's fates um, year in and year out, at least from just a, you know, layman's perspective. All right, so that's just about all we have time for this week. But before we get you out of here, I did want to hit you with a little bit of sports bits. Coming up this weekend, we've got men's golf traveling to Scottsdale, Arizona for the Maui Gym Intercollegiate. They'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then volleyball is also going to have a big weekend at the GSU Invitational. Uh, Alcorn State, Presbyterian, and Stetson will be in the house for that of course you have football at north carolina chapel hill uh espn3 belly sports south and also wras 88.5 fm with the legendary dave cohen on the call there but yeah that is going to be this upcoming weekend as well as uh, women's soccer playing presbyterian at the new gsu soccer complex at 188 mlk so keep it locked to thursdaynight.com and our social media as we do coverage of the football game on saturday thanks as always for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode bye-bye the thursday night podcast is a production of thursdaynight.com the independent source of choice for all things georgia state sports this podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 jordan crawford enterprises llc on behalf of thursdaynight.com unless otherwise specified the podcast is produced by programming director Brady Weiler and technical director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. Thank you.